Well, good morning again. How are you? Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. <laughs> you should say, I'm living and I'm burning. That's what I'm living. I'm living too. I'm burning. Amen. Amen. Well, this is the last meeting, and uh, you do have an outline in your hand, but again, put that, uh, put that down. Uh, don't worry, I'll cover all of it, uh, but not in a reading way. So, but uh, don't throw it away. I said put it down. I didn't say throw it away. All right? In fact, uh, all these uh, outlines, um, uh, it would be good, brothers, if, we can uh, give the saints even the, fo the, the file for the ministry reading. I have some ministry reading, four pages of each of these outlines. So um, if you can circulate it. And I would suggest that after this Labor Day, you know, you file it away and Labor Day is over. Uh, you know, Tuesday morning, go back to work. It's over. You know, that's it. Forget about it. See, this has happened way too many times, way too many times. So uh, I hope you may have your other uh, morning revival material uh, that you are going through, but still find a way uh, personally or with, with some companion or uh, the leading brothers or sisters, whatever way, uh, go back to uh, this speaking. Um, you have the uh, uh, three outlines at least, right? Three outlines. And then we have two wonderful uh, appendices. And that is number one, Brother Lee's loving word of eternal worth. Eternal worth. Um, and then uh, I gave you my little baby document, and that is my spirit. Yeah? And then, uh, so, and also with some of these uh, additional ministry material. That should be a lot for you to go back uh, to spend a little time, a couple of weeks or uh, several weeks uh, on the side to get into these things. So I hope you will do that. Now, uh, this morning being the last meeting, uh, the, uh, the message here in terms of the subject, um, Let's read together, at least read the subject, shall we? So that we don't forget. Being desperate to overcome deadness and lukewarmness in order to be vitally living and active for the increase of the Lord's recovery and the building up of the body of Christ. So we spent three meetings uh, at the outset of this uh, conference on the matter of the mingled spirit. I hope you will never, never forget that. Uh, I use the word, we need to be reduced to that. Look, the Bible is 66 books, 36 in the old, 27 in the new, full of stuff, all kinds of wonderful things. Uh, it is the divine revelation, it is the word of God, and so there are all manner of divine things um, um, revealed in God's word that is in the Bible. And we love the Bible. 
and we should read the Bible. Uh, my dear brother uh, that I testify for last night, he sang the Bible. Uh, this morning we're in the elevator, we're wondering how did he sing it? What tune did he use? You know, uh, Sister Sandy there, Sandy Yang, uh, you're a mu music person, musicology or whatever it is. How on earth can someone sing the whole Bible, 66 books in one year? What tune did he use? What kind of melody did he use? I doubt it was too melodious. I think this brother just kind of made it up and make some sound. I think most likely. I mean, even Beethoven cannot do it, right? In one year, 66 books of the whole Bible, he sang it. He sang it. And he told me that, I, so he wasn't lying. I, I know this brother, he, he, he doesn't lie. So he must be kind of just making it up on the way, you know, just instead of reading, he just kind of makes some notes, some, 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 some self-made tune that, that is probably uh, uh, meaningless and uh, um, uh, doesn't really make up for any kind of melody. I'd like to ask you, brothers and sisters, do you think God cares for that? Your, 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 your um, uh, operate, opera, operatic voice? You think God cares for your beautiful melody? You think? It says in the word that God is the one who sees the heart. And he judges according to the heart. It says that we should make melody with grace in our heart to the Lord. Now, something that may not be melody to you or to me may be very, very melodious in God's ear because God doesn't listen to just that human music. That's wonderful, you know, the beats, the, 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 the rhythm, the, uh, the, uh, all, all these kind of things. God, God is not in that realm. God is not in that realm. You know, uh, we have these dear um, uh, deaf, uh, mute uh, brothers, many of them from Japan. Any Japanese saints here this morning? They, they're from Japan. Um, they come all the time to these semi-annual trainings for decades. And they, they're not in our meeting because they couldn't hear anything. So they sit, uh, uh, LSM give them a room back there somewhere. I've been there. And so they all sit over here. They have a, the screen of the speaker. And then you have a brother who is there translating that speaking with hand signs, with hand signs, just, just like this, to the, a group of them, a, a dozen of them sitting there. And then... Uh, while he's doing then, then, then they, they would all, like that. I'm not making this up. They could not speak. They could not make sense. They, 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 it means nothing to me. Exactly like that. Oh, the whole bunch of them. I look at them. My tears came down. My tears came down. You may say, what is this? Just a bunch of meaningless noise. 
even according to 1 Corinthians, it doesn't cut it because it's not beneficial to the mind, right? Paul was doing, saying something against the speaking in tongues. It benefits you individually, but it doesn't benefit the saints. And so it is not good for the building up of the body. But these ones have no choice. They were born mute. They're born deaf. They're born dumb. And they, 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 they cannot. They're not speaking in tongues. They just, they're just making some noise at the best they could. And you just sense, even in that meaningless noise, the spirit. You sense the love for the Lord. They were responding to the message, which through the hand sign they could understand. But uh, they were not responding with hand sign to the brother who's translating by hand sign. They're responding with some vocal noise that they made up, not made up, that, that came out of them because they were made with a mouth and the mouth is the place where we praise the Lord and even they cannot do it now. One day when the Lord comes back, they will have their vocal cords restored. And I'll tell you, they will praise the Lord more than we can. I believe so. I believe so. They're handicapped. Just wait for that day. But not to, don't even wait for that day. Even today when I look at them, I just feel so shameful. I feel so inspired. I feel so, so stirred up by them, by these dear ones. So God doesn't care for your voice, care for your 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 your. your vocal cords, you're, you're holding the pitch right and the, and the, and the, and the uh, tempo right and all this kind of thing. God looks at your heart, the, the heart in that song that you're singing, making melody in your hearts by grace to the Lord. We're not singing even to, to one another first. We're singing to the Lord. There is a place of singing to one another, even in 1 Corinthians 14. It says we should sing with the mind and not just with the spirit. But in, as far as God is concerned, God is concerned, God care less. God care less. He sees the heart and he receives praises from your heart. Right? So the problem is you may have a good voice without a heart. You're like the tin man in the Wizard of Oz. And there's no heart there. No heart there. Okay, amen. Now, brothers and sisters, this morning, I would just speak in a free way, but don't worry, it will be according to this out, the burden of this outline. I'd like to tell you that today, <clears throat> not just today, but in these 2,000 years, in the history of the church, in this church age, uh, there are uh, several, uh, what Brother Lee would call fatal enemies, fatal, mortal enemies. That means deadly, deadly enemies. Um, and I would say because we're also part of the church, in a, which is a big C, right? The Lord's recovery. And especially 
we are the Lord's recovery, even more particularly because we have been given a special commission to be the Lord's recovery, to fulfill the Lord's recovery, even the more, even the more. And not only so, by in two years, and that is the year 2021, it would be the hundredth year of the Lord's recovery among us. It doesn't mean the Lord's recovery was not there before. No, the Lord's recovery was there. There's this kind of a silver lining uh, in the history of the church. We usually say beginning with Martin Luther, right? About the time of the Reformation and onwards in the last 500 years, right? Two years ago, we went to Leipzig for that year is the 500 year that Martin Luther nailed those theses, right? On this cathedral of what, Wittenberg or something like that? And that marks the 500 years. So it's 500 years since that time that God began a recovery work after 1,000 years of, uh, of the Dark Ages, right? When the Bible was locked up, when the uh, Church of Rome uh, become prevailing. And from that lowest point, God began a work to recover, number one, his word. To open up the locked up word, the locked up Bible, and on and on and onwards until today. We're in this recovery. That's why we call ourselves the Lord's recovery. That is not because we are better people, we are more perfect people, or we even we are stronger people. No. But we find ourselves here under a certain kind of speaking and that is the speaking of the ministry. And we wholeheartedly believe, um, without exaggeration, that the ministry that we have been under or we're still under is truly the ministry of the age. Just like when Martin Luther was raised up by God, his ministry was the ministry of that age. You know, justification by faith. Most people think uh, Martin Luther just talked about the justification by faith. No, he talked a lot, about a lot more things. This just became the centerpiece of that Reformation, uh, 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 which he represented. But that recovery went on and on and on. Item by item of the truth uh, was recovered. Uh, in a few hundred years uh, in the West. This is all in the West, in fact, in Europe, mainly in Europe. A little bit in this country and Canada, the New World, but mostly in the Old World in Europe. And mostly, uh, firstly, of course, Reformation started in Germany, and then eventually this, reforma uh, this uh, recovery went to England. England. And England, uh, in the uh, uh, 18th and into the, especially the 19th century, 
is the place where the Lord's recovery in truth, and I would even say in life, reach a certain kind of pinnacle. Um, of course, you have to study history. You have to know what went on. And this is primarily, primarily, not entirely, but primarily represented by a group of Christians, also small. Today, uh, their history and their ministers are not well known, although they have now become actually another denomination uh, already. And I'm referring to the brethren, the British brethren, or at that time, so-called Plymouth brethren. And uh, they reach a zenith as far as the recovery of the truth of the word of God and the practice of the church. And these people all left the denom various denominations, especially the Anglican church. The, we call it Episcopalian in this country. It is the Church of England. J.N. Darby, John Nelson Darby himself was a high churchman. He was a lawyer and he was a churchman. And then he was, he was actually not the first. This happened in Ireland, in Dublin, uh, uh, to, to come together. Uh, together, I mean, today, if you go to visit Ireland, you can, Michael Stewart will take you to the house where they started, you know, there was this uh, lady, lady something, you know, uh, who uh, opened a home for the first kind of such meetings. Um, and uh, soon this, this, the Lord was working through them and they begin to see the deeper and higher things in the word of God. And much was recovered through them, the types of the Bible, prophecies, uh, many truths, uh, and their condition is so good and so powerful um, that uh, caused even our brother, Watchman Nee, who not only studied them, not only read them, but he actually fellowship with them. He reached out to contact the brethren, actually not by that time they were already, already splinter. This is in the uh, 1920s. He actually made contact with the, what we call, to, what they call the exclusive branch of the brethren. And uh, for some time, and in fact, a few of these brothers who are, you know, by then they are spread out because they started in England in the Commonwealth, the so-called Commonwealth. And so a number, some of them came from Australia, right? Uh, direction uh, to, and, 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 uh, and Great Britain to come and visit the brothers, visit us in Shanghai. The pictures, we have pictures of that. And so, uh, uh, when Brother Nee, Watchman Nee, uh, uh, um, gave his study on uh, the Revelation 2 and 3, uh, which now today becomes the book, The Orthodoxy of the Church. The Orthodoxy of the Church was Brother Lee's study of Revelation 2 and 3 to interpret it uh, uh, based on the history of the church. 
So you have the seven churches, right, beginning with Ephesus. Ephesus is the early church, the, uh, the church uh, at the time of the, uh, when the apostles were still there, the first church. Then you have the church of what? Smyrna. Smyrna is the suffering church, the church that suffered under the hand of the Roman Empire. Um, of course, we know the story, how many uh, suffered or were persecuted or were martyred uh, during that period of time under some of these Caesars. And then, what else? Uh, after that, you have the church in... Uh, 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 huh? Uh, Pergamos. Pergamos is the church that begins to be married to the world. There is a communion, there is a marriage, um, there is an intercourse between the church and the world. It is actually a union, a marrying of the church and the world. That should not have happened, but that happened. And that was the church in Pergamos. Then you have the next church, and that is the church in Thyatira. Of course, that refers to the Church of Rome. Today, we call it the Roman Catholic Church. The papal system was fully formed before 500 AD, and uh, soon the church degraded to such an extent that even it says this is where the throne of Satan is. This is where the deep things of Satan were taught. You have the woman called Jezebel in that, um, um, in that epistle to Thyatira that refers to that woman, right? The same woman in uh, Matthew 13 who put the leaven into the fine meals, you see? And eventually that great harlot uh, in Revelation, the great Babylon, all this refer to the Roman church. And then you go on to the next church, and that is the Reformed church. And that is uh, signified by the church in Sardis. All these churches physically are churches in Asia Minor, Turkey today. All right? But actually, it, speak, it, it was a prophecy, a, it spoke concerning the, actually the course of the church in the New Testament age. The church in Sardis is the Reformed church, and that is the church that are the daughters of the harlot in Revelation later on. And this become today's Protestant denominations of all kinds, many daughters, one mother, but many, many daughters. One Roman Catholic Church, but many, many denominations. You have ranging from state churches, like the Church of England, you know, the Church of Sweden, the Church of Denmark, the Church of Germany. Um, today in Germany, you still need to pay a church tax, you know. So, but you'll not only have that, you have later on the private churches as a reaction to the state churches, and they become today's denominations, the Baptists, based on their kind of practice, Presbyterians, later on that were raised up in Scotland, in England, and then, uh, and various other, later on, uh, whenever God has a kind of a recovery, 
uh, that recovery degraded and become another denomination like the Wesleyan Church. Today we call it the Methodist Church. And so on and so forth. Um, uh, and even, uh, 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 well, I mean, this is the situation. And then you come to the church in Philadelphia, the sixth church. That church, our brother Watchmani um, interpreted it, believed that that church must refer to the brethren in the 1800s, the brethren. That church is the only church that the Lord did not rebuke, the only church of the seven that the Lord did not rebuke and which the Lord praised, uh, Philadelphia, right? The church of brotherly love, you know, actually the brethren is not a name they chose. It was like the word Christian. It was a label put on them by others because they start to call each other brothers, brother, brother so-and-so, brother so-and-so. And uh, there's no rank. They did away with all the hierarchy. They were totally against it. We're all brothers in the Lord. We're all the same. And so on. And so uh, that was the church in uh, 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 Philadelphia. You have a little strength, but you kept the word, and you have not denied my name. That's the church in Philadelphia. And it says even keep the crown, keep the crown that has been given to you. You have a crown, you just keep it, don't lose it. Then, unfortunately, there is a seventh church, seventh church. That church is a defeated church that came out of the Brethren Church. And that is called the church in Laodicea. And that is the very church where the Lord says, I have something against you. That you think, you say you are rich. You say your, your, your eyes are open. You say you're clothed. But in actuality, you are poor. You are blind and you are naked. I counsel you to buy, to buy from me gold to buy from me the dress, to buy from me the eye salve, to pay the price. And it says that in that epistle that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were cold or hot because you're neither. I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. So repent and be burning. I, last night I told you that word is boiling. Become boiling, hot. So that is a word to the defeated, recovered church. Philadelphia was the recovered church. Whereas there, Laodicea is the defeated or degraded, recovered church. It's a sorrowful thing. Now, according to the history, the first three of the seven churches is no longer 
it is over. But the last four churches are still here and will remain here until the Lord comes back. So the Protest, the, the Roman church will be here. Of course, when the Lord comes or before the Lord comes, that will be judged. The great Babylon will be judged. This is not just the material Babylon, but the spiritual Babylon that Catholic Church. And then the Protestant churches will also remain until when the Lord comes back. And the recovered church, whatever it is, will remain until the Lord's coming. And also the defeated, the failed, the lukewarm recovered church will also be here until the Lord's coming back. Now you need to study all these things, so you must get into the life study of Revelation um, to help you to understand what I just said very, very briefly. Now, brothers and sisters, who are we? Where do we fit into this whole historic picture, this whole prophecy? I'm not so sure. I'm not Brother Lee. I'm not Brother Nee. I don't know. But I know that in principle, in principle, listen to me, there are only two options for us, for us who are the Lord's recovery. And that is either in principle, that either we belong to Philadelphia or we are in Laodicea. I'm here talking not so much about our position. I cannot give a defined position of exactly who we are. I'm talking about our condition. There's only two possibilities. I trust that, well, I would even say two possibilities plus one, three possibilities, perhaps. And that is Sardis. Sardis. Now, I know in location, in position, we have left the denomination. We have left the so-called Protestant Christianity, right? We uh, left the ground of division to return back to the ground of oneness. We even sang this song, hallelujah. Uh, what? Uh, Christ and the local church. Uh, uh, what about the ground? What does it say? The song we just sang, which was from the 60s, okay? This is from the late 60s um, on the local ground, right? The ground of oneness. So <clears throat> we left the denominations and we returned to the ground of locality that was um, again typified by Jerusalem, by the remnant of Israel that returned from Babylon after 70 years of captivity to Jerusalem to rebuild the house and to rebuild the temple and to rebuild the walls and the gates. And that is to recover the Lord's testimony. And we are such. We saw that picture. We saw that, um, uh, that type. And so uh, this is what we believe. This is what we have seen. And I'm convicted of it. I, I, this is my vision from the day I came into the recovery 
that I'm not in Sardis. I'm not in Christianity. I left that to come back to this place, to the, onto to this ground, to rebuild God's testimony. Yes, but I'm speaking this morning not positionally, but conditionally. We do have these three possibilities in actuality, in condition. Number one, Sardis. Number two, Philadelphia. And number three, Laodicea. Now, what is the problem with Sardis? What is the condition, the overarching condition of Sardis? It says that the one who has the seven spirits and the seven stars he said, I know your works. The Lord always say that, I know your works. I'm sure that works includes their life and their service, both. That combined to be the work of the church, of that church. You have a name that you are living, and yet you are dead. Be watchful and establish the things that Remain, which are about to die. For I found none of your works completed before my God. So I just say this much. I think that is good enough. What do we see here? What do we see here? The characteristic, the negative characteristics of the church in Sardis is deadness. No, you say no. Uh, well, the Lord says, in the name, in name, you are living. But in actuality, you are dead. There's a mismatch here. There's a disconnect here. The picture doesn't match the caption. What they claim doesn't match their experience. They have a name that they're living. But yet you are dead. That's number one. Number two, he said, you have something. The Lord didn't, didn't say that you have nothing. Even Sardis, they have, really have something. But he said, you better watch. Because even what you have are about to die. So it's not just they're dead, they're also dying. They're constantly dying. They, they, they're in a condition. Dying condition, you know, like a person who is, you know, close to the, his or her expiration, you know, on a deathbed. Uh, they're not dead yet because, you know, the thing is still monitored, still beep, 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 it's still going. It hasn't gone beep yet. But it's total coma. Couldn't couldn't respond, couldn't do anything, eyes closed, still the heart is still beating, 
the organs are failing. That's what it is. You are dying. Not dead, but you are dying. And then he said, I have not found your works completed before God. That means you are incomplete. You know, I don't know, uh, uh, Sandy, you, you're a professor in college. Uh, you, you get A, B, C, or D, or F, or incomplete, right? That means you didn't show up. You didn't take your test. It's not even F. I cannot even give an F to you. I can only give you an I. Because you're incomplete. You didn't finish your course. You just ran halfway. That is how the Lord looks at Sardis. Now, I'm just saying here that this is uh, the Lord's word. And then and, and the Lord says, forgive me for uh, kind of um, uh, remaining here a little bit. He said this what? He said that um, um, there's some among you who have not defiled their garments. You know, I like to say something here, brothers and sisters. Do you know what is defilement? Or rather, do you know what is the worst defilement in the eyes of God? It's not sin. It's not the world. It's death. Deadness is the greatest defilement as far as God is concerned. Why? Because God is life and God is a living God. He cannot tolerate death. Death is anti-God. It's anti-God's first nature in that he is living. God is not dying. The universe may be dying, according to some scientists. But God is not dying and God is not dead, for sure. God is alive and God is living. And so he cannot stand the defilement of death. Those who have not defiled their garments in Sardis are those who were not touched by death. And then to those who overcome in that church, he said, I shall by no means erase his name out of the book of life. The book of life. Life, brothers and sisters, and death is the struggle here. This is what is going on with Sardis. And today, we don't want to bat mouth. We don't want, I just want to say this. If we are, and it is a possibility, in the condition of Sardis, that's what it looks like. Dead, dying, lifeless, <clears throat> defiled in the eyes of God. Now, Philadelphia, I don't need to go to because it's good. <laughs> and, um, well, then you say, why don't we, you talk to us something good? Well, um, well, if we're all good, then I, I won't be standing here. 
Now, I'm not implying that we're bad, so please do not take it this way. But I feel that this is the Lord's word to us in the recovery. Constantly, constantly, because the Lord needs a recovery. And we are here, even though we are a motley crew, even though we are not the sharpest, we're not the greatest, we're not the strongest, but by his sovereignty and mercy, we found ourselves here in something called the Lord's recovery. And we have been given the top and highest ministry that opened our eyes to see things of what is and what should not be. And so we're here. And what we see, vision always begets commission. Because we see this, we inherited a commission that we need to be this, in other words, to be what we see, to live out what we see, to have the reality of that revelation that we see. And that's what the Lord's recovery is about. And because this is a struggle, because there's an enemy, because there is a fight, a battle, we need to be constantly reminded by the word of God. So, I will skip over Philadelphia, which we all should aim to be. Amen? Now, the brethren, according to Brother Watchmany, was the Philadelphia in their day. I wasn't there, but Brother Ni actually believed that. So I believe that. Then what about among us? Well, I cannot say so much. But I think I can say that in principle and over time, these hundred years, there was or even there is the reality of Philadelphia amongst us. I don't think that is to be proud. Actually, may I say something? This may, you may not have thought about this, that even there may be a few, even in the Catholic Church, who have the condition of Philadelphia. You know, there's some real regenerated believers who are Catholics, really. I mean, look at one famous one. His, her name is uh, Mrs. Guion, a French lady. He was, she was one of the ones who was called the mystics. And he, she pioneered the, a, a part of the inner life that even today we are benefiting from. She still venerated Mary. She probably still lit the candles. She was still in that system. But the inward reality was there. I just use it as an illustration. For sure, in Sardis, there would be others who are the true overcomers of that condition. They're not dead, they're living. So, my brothers and sisters, I'm not saying this to uh, 
discourage us or to threaten us or anything like this. But I'll tell you in the same principle, it does not mean because we are meeting with the Lord in, in the Lord's recovery that we are automatically Philadelphia. It does not mean because we're meeting on the local ground that you are Philadelphia. None of us can have that kind of a assurance. We can only say that we are blessed. The Lord had mercy on us to bring us to such a place with such a rich ministry and supply and up-to-date practices according to the word of God, the God-ordained practices, and so many things of truth and life and the church that has been opened up to us. And we're here practicing the church life in different places. And that, in other words, we are all afforded perhaps the best environment the best ecological and spiritual ecological environment for these little plants, you and I, to grow and thrive. This is a good place to overcome. This is a good place for us to be Philadelphia in reality. But it's no guarantee. No guarantee. So when I came to the recovery, when you came to the recovery, I said, I'm home. Amen? I found my home, Christ and the church. I surely did. And soon I found out the fact that I'm home doesn't mean now it's time to take it easy, uh, to lounge around, uh, to just, uh, I've arrived. This is it. I found out the reason, the moment I hit home is when I begin my life in Philadelphia. And that life is not automatic just because I'm in a certain place. I now have to live out Philadelphia in reality and not just have a name. Amen? And the Lord says, I have given you a little strength. No, Philadelphia is not full of mighty men and women. It's not full of strong and uh, capable people. It is full of people with tiny little strength. They belong here. They're like those birds on the two altars in Psalm 84. We're just little birds. But we're here, brothers and sisters. Praise the Lord. I'm so happy, I'm so thankful to the Lord every day that of so many I am blessed to find the Lord's recovery, to know this ministry and to be in this place. I don't know what to do in these last 50 years if I'm not in the recovery, what my marriage would be like, what, what my life would become. I, I can hardly imagine. I think I'll be dead probably, maybe even physically. But thank the Lord, the recovery, I found the recovery and the recovery found me. Tis mercy all immense and free, for oh my God has found out me. That's all I can say. But now that I'm here, I cannot, I cannot 
waste the mercies of God, the beseeching mercies of God. I found out after I come here, I have to present my bodies a living sacrifice to be absolute to the Lord, to give everything to the Lord, to put everything on the altar. This is not just a place to rest, to take it easy, to say, I have arrived. This is a place I have to offer all for the will of God. I found out this is the place where I have to not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of my mind. I need to have my mind daily renewed. I need to be transformed. I need to get out of the course of this age, which is an enemy to us, to God's people, the world. Not just the world, but the age of that world, the present age of the world. This is my most reasonable service. Then also, and I came here, I found out I need to have a burning spirit and not be slothful. That means I can be in Philadelphia and be a slothful Philadelphian. That means a lazy, unvital, inactive, inoperative member of Philadelphia. I found out here I have to be burning in spirit, serving the Lord as a bond slave. Brothers and sisters, this is Philadelphia life. Philadelphia is not about arrival. Philadelphia is not about maintaining status quo. Philadelphia is not about keeping the routine. Philadelphia is about advancing and growing and fighting and living and at pursuing to remain in that reality, to, to gain more of the reality of the church in Philadelphia. And that's what the church life is about today. Brothers and sisters, in a sense, we have arrived. In a sense, the other sense, we have not yet arrived. Even Paul said that. I count not myself to have arrived, but I pursue. I count everything but loss I pursue towards this high calling, this above calling, so that he can enjoy the second resurrection. Paul was here to still pursue running the race to gain Christ. This is the church life. This is actually Philadelphia. So let me finish. Finish. The other possibility, that is the two options, the option of Sardis, the option of Philadelphia. And the third one is Laodicea. Laodicea comes out of Philadelphia. It's not a new church. It came out of the church in Philadelphia. And to this one, God says, I know your works again. Immediately he say, 
you are neither cold nor hot. Wish that you were cold or hot because you're lukewarm and neither hot nor cold. I'm about to spew you out of my mouth. I mean, those are pretty, pretty obvious, strong words. I don't like to hear them. The Lord say, I'm going to spew you out. I, I don't like that. I like the Lord to say, child, I love you. You're okay. You're good. I like that. I really like that. But no, to this church, corporately, he said, I'm going to spew you out if you don't change. You're not cold. I give it to you. But you are not hot. Then you say, you claim, I have it. I'm rich. I have all these things. But in, in fact, you, you have the shame of nakedness. You have the shame of blindness. You have the, sh the, the, the shame of poverty. Not only so, not only so, he said, I am standing at your door and knocking. That means the Lord is outside of this church. Can you believe it? The, the Lord is not even in there. The Lord is out. He said he has to knock on the door and he said, may I come in and dine with you and you with us, uh, with me. Such is the condition of the church. By the way, all these are churches. Otherwise, John would not write the church in, the church in. Not just, they are not even just that physical original churches in Asia Minor, even all churches, including the Catholic Church and the Protestant Church and the uh, 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 Recovered Church and the Defeated Recovered Church, these are all churches in God's eyes. That's why he wrote to them. He regarded them as his church. But the, alas, their conditions are not good. So the Lord, the one with the seven spirits, the Son of Man, who is walking in the midst of these seven churches, have to speak to them. Very strong words, very direct words, very exposing words with his seven eyes. Even his tongue is with the sword. Oh, brothers and sisters, this is not something that we trifle with. This is not something that we make light of. The Lord is speaking to us. Now, I'm not in the Catholic Church. I'm not in that Babylon. But conditionally, I could be in Sardis right now. Conditionally, I could be in Laodicea right now. And conditionally, I may be in Philadelphia right now. It depends. Oh Lord, I just depressed all of you. <clears throat> so, our dear brother, few years before his death, he was so seized, arrested by this burden, because the recovery among us is 100 years. It's an old recovery. This is not a new recovery. It's an old recovery. And many of us have been here for half of that time. I have been here for half of that hundred years. 
That's a long time. So I need this word. Now this morning, what is the burden? The burden, dear ones, and I say this to myself, I say to, to all of you, but I don't speak in depression. I don't speak in despair. I don't speak in hopelessness. I'd like to tell you this morning, I speak filled with faith. I speak full of hope. And I speak, brothers and sisters, following my dear brother, my senior co-worker, in love, his loving words to us. Today, the call to the Lord's recovery, you and me, who are in the Lord's recovery, is simply that we would, I'm not, I don't know if all of us, the call is to all of us, but the Lord did say to every church, to him who overcome. He didn't even say to them, to them. He said to him, to him who overcome, he has his promises. To each and every one of these church, the Lord was speaking, calling forth those who would overcome these degradations. If we believe the Bible, we should believe the whole of it. I don't think you have a Jeffersonian Bible with you, right? You know Jeffersonian Bible? Jefferson, also, President Jefferson, Thomas Jefferson also has a Bible, but it's the Jeffersonian version. That is, he has a scissors and he cut off those he doesn't like. And the, what's left is the Jeffersonian version. Okay, I trust you don't have a Jeffersonian version. That means if we take the word of God, we take every word of the word of God, right? At the end of the Bible, it says, no one can take an iota away, remember, right? And the one who does so will be cursed and will not be in the book of life. Very, very serious warning. So this is part of the Lord's word. Part of the Lord's word. To him who overcomes. So I would like to just put it this way. Brothers and sisters, today, close to 100 years of the Lord's recovery among us, the Lord is calling in a renewed way. He has called like this in time past, but he's calling us, those of us who are alive and sitting here. And I especially, if you don't mind, want to speak this word to the younger brothers and sisters among us. When I say young, I don't mean 18-year-old. I mean those who are middle-aged, those who are of the millennial generation, those who are in your 40s, those who are in your 30s, those who are, maybe, let me just be generous, those who are in their 50s. <laughs> those for sure who are in their 20s. May I even say so, be generous, and from my heart,
those who are even in their teens. I touched the Lord's recovery in my teens and gave my whole life to this in my teens. So teens, you are not too young. This span, this span of about four decades, I call these the younger generation. And I'm not one of them. I'm out of that already. To this generation of brothers and sisters, I have a particular appeal to you. That this word, this morning even, of course this weekend, these days, but especially this morning, is for you. In a very weighty way, in a very genuine way, but let me say, also in a way of faith, hope, and love. That you are here. Some of you are born in the recovery in Zion. Some of you came in halfway when you're in college. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. The Lord has graced you and had mercy on you to bring you to such a place. You're, I will guarantee you, we're not perfect, far from it, but this is a very good environment. This is one of the most healthy environment you can find, even among Christians. I don't mean we're perfect, but that is the case. I like to testify, as could many older brothers, that without this environment, we would not be where we are right now. Brothers, you agree with me? In this environment and under this speaking, the Lord's Spirit and the Lord's living word operates within us to this day. So we're here in the best environment. Now, the point is you have to live a life in this environment to match God and his purpose and his desire. And that is to overcome all these degradation, to have the reality, listen, of Philadelphia. What do you have to overcome? Here are the fatal enemies. Fatal enemies. I will mention five. Five of them. Not in any particular order, but five. Number one, worldliness. Worldliness. The age, the confirmation to the age. Number two, deadness. Deadness. This is a great enemy. Actually, death is called the final enemy. Is, is that not true? Even death was cast into the lake of fire. Death itself. It's God's ultimate enemy is deadness. Not living. Uh, that's number two, right? Um, 
And number three, we don't use the word coldness because the Lord wished you be cold or hot. The Lord's unhappiness is with lukewarmness. So that's the third fatal enemy, lukewarm. You're not cold, but you're not hot. You're just there. Um, that, uh, <clears throat> let me finish. Number four, uh, what is it? Number four, right? Uh, Well, I, I think I better keep it to four enemies and not five. Okay. And as I'm speaking, I change my mind. The uh, fourth enemy is barrenness. Barrenness. That means no result, no expression, no fruit, just, just, just nothing. Uh, you may say, whoa, really, God really cares for that? I'll tell you big time. Big time. So, barrenness or fruitlessness. Now, I, I'm going to tell you what I was thinking about the fifth enemy. So, whether you like it, you can write it down. You don't like it, you don't have to write it down. I'll leave it to you. <laughs> but experientially, brothers and sisters, one of these enemies I call is oldness. Oldness. Which is associated with deadness. Right? Now, there are other things going on here, you know, that are not good. But I just want to crystallize. This is with the ministry's help. These are the things. Um, worldliness, I don't need to talk about. It's just the confirmation to this age uh, that will cause us not to be transformed. And when we are like this age and preoccupy with this age, uh, we would become ineffective. Um, we're in the world, brothers and sisters, but we're not of the world. There's big difference. To the young people, I like to say this. That gospel song, give up the world, Christ to obtain. There comes a point, it's not just a point, actually a daily, daily exercise that we what? We're here to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And then Deadness, you know what is deadness? Deadness means a total loss of your function. A loss of any feeling. Impotence. 
even buried. You're buried. You're bound, you know, like Lazarus, you know, he was bound. Uh, even you, you emit a certain odor of death. All these are the signs or symptoms of deadness, which God abhors. And the spiritual situation of death is, we know, darkness inside, a kind of weakness, dryness. All these things are a kind of telltale sign that we're in a state of death. Oh, brothers and sisters, the church of God, according to 1 Timothy, is living. We are the what? The house of God, the church of what? The living God. The living God. So we need to exercise our spirit, amen? To contact the spirit of life, the mingled spirit, all the time, every day, every moment, I mentioned, right? With all these wonderful uh, spiritual practices and exercises that we may be living. We would overcome all the deadness. Now in your church, you cannot expect the whole church to be living, but you be living. You know, from day one when I was a teen coming into the church life, I, I, in this matter, I'm a little bit selfish, you may say. I said, Lord, regardless, I'm going to be living. If no one functions in the meeting, I will function. If no one will speak, I will speak. If no one will sing, I will sing. I will be living. I will not be dead. And to do that, I will live a life like this. I would confess my sins. I would deal with my conscience. I would turn to my spirit. I would call on his name. Am I right? I would read his living word. I would, all these things to keep me in a state of alive, aliveness, right? And then when I come to the meeting, I would come as a living one. I would be one that give life, minister Christ as life and build up the church. I didn't just take those as a kind of teaching. I practiced these things daily, even while I was in college. And I'm not the only one. There were others like that, my companions. Until this day. Until this day. I, I cannot live a life in death. That is a defeated life. I'm vital. I must be living. If I'm, what is it? If I'm a, 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 a man, I have to believe in Jesus Christ. If I'm a Christian, I have to be in the church. If I'm in the church, I have to be living. I have no recourse. I have no option. That is my fate. So every day I try to be living. Now that's the way to Philadelphia. That's the way to maintain the condition of Philadelphia. Oh, if in the Midwestern churches, 20-some churches, I don't know how many churches, big or small, 
every church, there is some like this. There's some saints like this. You will see the Lord will do a new thing in the Midwest. And I believe it's time for the Lord to have a new move in the entire Midwest. Not a movement, not, you know, some stirring up, not some kind of campaign. But in every church, there are these saints just like this. They are Philadelphians. Amen? Amen. Not only you will not be dead, you will not be found dying. I don't want brothers to find me dying. Like, 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 I don't know how many more breaths I have left before I expire. That is not a good place to be. I tell you, Brother Lee, even when he was old, sick, physically not well, I tell you, this man is alive. Even the Lord Jesus on the cross, his flesh was dying. It says, but his spirit was living. So brothers, that's why we need the mingled spirit. Amen? We don't need to be dead. And we need to be, no, don't need to be dying. And we will complete what has been given to us. How about that? I like to give you the faith, brothers and sisters. You can. Sisters, young sisters, you can. I responded to the Lord's call 50 years ago. I'm still responding to that call, standing here this morning. Yes, I'm not your age. Yes, I won't tell you my age. Yes, I'm out of that young generation. But listen, I am not dead. And I am not dying. I'm not about to die. I'm getting older, but I'm not about to die. I'm still here serving my living God. I'm still a living member in the church. If you invite me to your meeting, watch out. I'm going to enliven it. I'm going to take it over. I'm going to inject and infuse life into the saints because that's the only thing I know to do. I refuse to be dead. Amen. This is the spirit of the Midwest. I say, if the saints, only the saints in this room, a portion, a percentage of all the saints would live like this, the whole Midwest. Oh, the whole Midwest. The whole Midwest. Something will happen. We'll be the Philadelphia, not just in name only. And then, what is lukewarmness? I'll tell you, lukewarmness means you know everything. They, 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 they said they know everything. They have everything. I have the ISAF. I have the clo uh, clothes. I have the, I have, I'm rich. They, 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 they say they know everything. They got everything. But in reality, they are fervent for nothing. Yeah, I got notes like this. I have the whole 39 feet of uh, 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 
collected works of Watchman Nee in my room. I'm rich, but I'm not burning for nothing. It's just a decoration of my library. I'm not saying you shouldn't buy that, okay? <laughs> I have it, okay? So, so it's on my shelf. So you understand what I'm saying. Brothers, we can just say, I, we have the high peak. We have the best. We, this is not, not, nothing better than what we have. It's true. It's true. But conditionally, you are still naked. Conditionally, you're still blind. Conditionally, you are still what? In poverty. We are not burning with these things. So in name, we have it. But actually, we don't have it in reality. We, another sign of lukewarmness is this. Listen, we remember the former glory. How about that? Oh, the good old days. I wish I'm back in Eldon. Oh, you know what? 30 years ago, we did this and that. But we forget our present condition before God. God doesn't care for 50 years ago. God cares for right now. Are you burning this moment? It doesn't matter you were burning 50 years ago. You need to be burning right now. To be lukewarm also means you're not ready to give up anything for For all of this reality, you cannot make further sacrifice. You know, to be burned means you're burn out, burn, burn off. You're a burn offering. That means, you understand? You have to forsake, you have to sacrifice, a living sacrifice. Then you would gain the reality. The reality, it says, buy from me. You have to buy, you have to pay a price. You stop paying the price, so you have no present reality. You have past realities, but you don't have present realities. And also, to be lukewarm means you are self-contented. You are, have become indifferent to many things. You are actually kind of sleepy and inactive. Brother Lee said this, I'm concerned that, you know, this is 1993, I'm concerned that although we may have much doctrinal knowledge and may consider ourselves spiritually rich, we may not be living and active but indifferent and lukewarm. A great number of saints in the churches have heard many truths yet they do not take action to work for the Lord. Hence, there is a need to be made vital. So to be lukewarm is to be unvital. Now, I think this is good enough. Dear brothers and sisters, today we're here to conquer these things. We're here. I'm set. I don't know about you. As for me and my house, 
But for me, I'm here still to conquer these things in me. To fight these things in me. I, I'm, I'm not dealing with you. I'm dealing with me. To overcome deadness, to overcome what? Worldliness, to overcome... Huh? Uh, 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 lukewarmness to overcome, barrenness to overcome, oldness for me. Now, uh, I better end. What time is it? 11.25. You see, I'm always, when I ask, it's always the right time. The, uh, there's some, some clock within me or something. Anyway, uh, dear brothers and sisters, I would say this kind of word calls for us to again renew our consecration to the Lord, to give ourselves wholeheartedly to Him, to be absolute for Him and His purpose. We have to not secretly follow this age, secretly. Maybe not outwardly, but secretly. We need to keep our spirit living. That's something I said already. You have to do. You cannot wait for God to make you living. It is our responsibility to be living. Every moment you have to choose death or life, as Moses said. And every time I choose life. I'm not always successful, but every time, every decision, I try to choose life. I'm a saint of the living God, and there is a mingled spirit installed in us. There's no reason for us not to be alive. We need to even force ourselves to exercise our spirit. We need to push ourselves to exercise our spirit. We need to pull our spirit out of death, out of depression, so that we can be living and not be in a deadened condition. We have to even struggle. Many times it's a struggle to have our spirit free from oppression and depression. We need to release our spirit at all times from a situation of deadness, by our praise, by our calling, by our singing, by our rejoicing, by our thanking Him. Cut through, cut through that atmosphere of oppression, of deadness, and come into the land of the living. Let those who have breath praise the Lord. No. Everything will tell you to shut up. Everything will tell you to not be so weird and just be like everybody else. Right? But no, we need to be living. Because when we're not living, we're not Philadelphia in its present moment. And not only so, so we have to be released, living, refreshed people. Let Midwest be full of these kind of people. Amen? Amen? Madison, let it be filled with living people. Amen. I tell you, even you have 40 people in 
medicine. If 10 are living like this, one quarter, 25%, I tell you, the church in medicine would have the reality of Philadelphia. I think here we might be a quarter of the Midwest saints. And also, brothers and sisters, let's become active. Amen? And Daniel says, those who know their God in the last days will be tried and made white. And they will what? Take what? Show strength and take action. God hates inactive people. As far as his purpose and work is concerned, he cannot stand lukewarmness, neither here nor there. We need to conquer this lukewarmness, brothers and sisters, and every day to be desperate to seek Christ and all his riches so that he won't be standing outside of the door. How about Christ would be inside every church in the Midwest? Amen. Not knocking, but he's in. Dining with us, eating with us, banqueting with us, enjoying with us. How about that? Don't leave him out in the cold to degree in Minneapolis. All right? Let him in. Only he can enrich us. Let's go deeper, let's go higher, let's go broader, let's go Oh, this unsearchably rich Christ. And also, this is a big one, let's conquer lukewarmness by not being slothful, lazy in zeal, but being burning in the spirit. Do you know of the two parables in Matthew 25 that has to do with the kingdom? The first one is about life. The second is about our service. The first one, we have to be those wise virgins to fill our vessel, not our lamb, the spirit, but our vessel, our soul, with oil, that we may be burning, and we may be found burning when the bridegroom comes back. Amen. We don't know when he's come back. He'll come back like a thief, but when he shows up, aha, there is oil in my vessel. Amen. The song is wrong, there's oil in my lambs, no. The oil has to be in our vessel. We need a reservoir. We need extra oil. Extra oil. So when the bridegroom comes, we're ready to enter in with burning lamps. The burning lamps is a burning spirit. But we have so much oil, even oil in our soul, to keep our lamps alight and aflame and on fire. But, but, there is the other one. The other one is the parable about the servants, the slaves, all given talents. One five, one two, one one. And the five said, take my time, bury it. The two says, take my time, bury it. That sounds like death to me. You don't bury something unless it's dead. They buried the gift that God has given to them. They didn't fan it into flame and employ and use them. That's the moral of that parable. 
And so the master came back. The last one, the one with one, right? No, no, I'm sorry. The one, the one with one, sorry, I'm, was the one who buried it because he despised it. I only got one. I just have a little. Sisters, you may say, I'm nobody. I just have a little. I just have one talent. I'm going to bury it. Okay, master came back. First servant, well done. Good and faithful. Not just good. Faithful to invest what I've given to you. Enter the joy. One with two. Well done. Good and faithful. Enter into the joy. The last one. Master, I know your heart. You're tough. So I don't want to take risks. I did my risk analysis here. Because if I invest this one, that's only one I have, and Wall Street bombed out with a bull market, I'm going to lose it all. I am going to play it safe. There's a philosophy of investment called wealth preservation. That means you earn nothing. No interest, just keep the principal as it depreciates. That is the lowest risk form of investment. That's what he took. He took the safe route. I'm still in the recovery. I still come to the meetings. I still do something here. I'm not leaving. But I'm playing it safe. Here is your one talent, master. You know what the master said? He didn't say bad. He say evil. Evil. And listen, slothful, slave, lazy. You're lazy and you're evil. That is very harsh words. Very, very harsh words. And you go to another place. Friends, sisters, when I enter into the church life, soon I heard these words of the kingdom in the Lord's recovery. And let me tell you, I took those words not as fairy tales. The coming kingdom, oh, fairy tale. I took them on face value. This is what it said. The Lord said this. And that shook me up. That, that scares me. I don't care what it, you say, I took it seriously. To this day, to this day, I tried to live my life under the light of the judgment seat. That was the first hymn that Watchman Nee wrote. He was saved not to go to heaven. He was saved to enter into the kingdom. So his whole life, he lived as a virgin and he lived as a slave, a faithful slave. Brothers and sisters, the Lord is actually not asking for a lot. But with what he has given to you, that's a lot because it's from him. He doesn't expect you with one talent to come back with five. 
He just needs you to come back with another one. And he w- you will receive the same reward almost as the one who will receive the five. Because five divided by five is one. Two divided by two is one. One divided by one is one. In principle, you share the same reward. It's not about more or less gift. It's about how much you use your gift. And I've seen brothers and sisters who apparently have little gift, small gift, but by virtue of their industriousness, by virtue of their faithfulness of investing their gift, that means using it in the church life, in the meeting, in the gospel, in the shepherding, I saw actually their gift increase, grew. That's how the Lord is. That's how the Lord is. So now, brothers and sisters, I close by some recommendation. Needless to say, number one, we need to live a vital life with the mingled spirit. The vital life simply means a life in and by the mingled spirit, that wonderful spirit of the process and consummated triune God, that pneumatic Christ. Contact him. Friends and sisters, it's not about doing a lot of other things, reduced to just contacting him. What is morning revival is not a form, it's not a religious duty, it is not a local church thing. Morning revival is morning contact. You can do a morning revival but fail to contact Jesus. What good is it? It's not going through the motions of reading a few verses and reading your book. It's about contacting the living one. So in the morning, first thing, contact him. Make sure you contact him. Whether you pray, read, whether you praise, whether you, pray, you, you sing, contact him. And become enlivened for the day. And during the day, during the day, live a life in the spirit in the same way. Whether you're a mother, whether you are a, 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 a working at your job, whether, whether you're a full-timer, it, it doesn't matter. We all would just live a life in the spirit, a life with the Lord. Amen? And then you come to the meetings of the church, the services of the church. You will not just be there just because you're a good brother or a good sister keeping a routine. You will be there as a factor of life, of burning, of fire. Every day, every day. Then, besides this, I would like to tell you to do this. You should be burdened for people. You must be burdened for people. Actually, our vitality is not even to show how vital we are. Our vitality is to bear fruit. A vine that is thriving, that is vital, is not for show. It's to bear fruit. Remaining fruit, abundant fruit. 
That's the meaning of the vine. The meaning of our, our life as Christians, yes, it is to express Christ, but it is to bear fruit so that this Christ expression can be enlarged, can grow, can increase. Look, your church, 40 people, I just, Tim is sitting in front of me, sorry. Year after year, it's still 40 people. Something is not right. Yeah, something is not right. That is a measurement. That is a very proper gauge. Because when something is living, it bears fruit. Human beings, when they get married, they have children, normally speaking. When we're married to the Lord, we're supposed to bear children for Him, spiritual children. And you are a vine. I am, the, uh, I am the vine, you are the branches. Every branch that does not bear fruit, I cut it off, I take it away. But every branch that bears fruit, I prune it so that it can be more, they can bear more fruit. And even so that it can be much fruit. And so that it can bear fruit that remains. John 15. That is God's economy. Brothers and sisters, what gives our church life meaning is lots of fruit. My, hey Tim, if the church in Madison becomes 60, you will say Madison has meaning. And then the church will become 80. You say the church has meaning. Then the the church in Madison will become a church with a church with 120. Oh, the saints will have meaning. We'll be happy. Our joy will be full. Am I right? That we bear much fruit. Dear friends and sisters, if we are the same year after year, decade after decade, not bearing fruit, not increasing, not growing, I'll tell you, we can all day long say I'm vital, I'm living, I'm burning, but I don't see the fruit there. Dear saints, go back and make a vow to the Lord and pray to the Lord, Lord, I must bear fruit. I must gain interest for you. Lord, Give me fruit or I die. That's Hannah's prayer. Give me fruit, a son, or I die. I tell you, when you threaten the Lord like that, he won't let you die. He will give you a son, a Samuel. I know that's how it works because God delights in that. Now, pray. And whatever the Lord may touch you, the Lord says, you want fruit? I want to touch that. You want fruit? You have to take that away. If you want fruit, you have to say amen to me in this matter. Then you have lots of dealing with the Lord, repentance, confession. I tell you, all of that will make you even more alive, more vital. That's my experience. Every amen I say to the Lord, I become that much more vital. Then the Lord will say, good, I'm going to give you fruit. Now you start praying for it. Who do you want? 
you know, we say, oh, people in this country are not open. I beg to differ because I work at BFA. This country, as far as I can see from the responses we get, is wide open to the gospel and to the truth. Number two, don't tell me with millions of people there's not even one that is open. That is simply illogical. I think the problem is not that. The problem is we have not gone out to find him. Not that he's not around. We have just story after story of great seekers in this country, on the campus, in the community. Brothers and sisters, you just pray. But don't just pray. Find a companion. Sister, you find a, another sister. Or find another two. Not to be a club, not to be, be a clique, not to be, you know what I mean, buddies. But you two, you three, specifically start to pray for people. You can start with praying for your children. They're people too. And they're prime gospel candidates. Pray for your young people. In, in junior high, in, in high school. They are prime gospel candidates of ours. Then pray for the college students. There should be a few in your locality. Pray for them and name them and claim them and make them your children by the transfer of life, by becoming their spiritual mothers. Then pray for your family, relatives, who are not safe, who are seeking, nominally saved. Brothers, pray for the colleagues in your work. Pray for the people in your community. You say, I know them all. None of them are seeking. How do you know? You haven't even talked to them yet. Pray and pray. The Lord will answer those prayers. Then I will say another suggestion. Consecrate, reserve, set apart a couple of hours a week. This is not legal, but you must do something by regularity so it becomes habit. It's habit again. If you don't do this habit, once in a blue moon you will be inspired to go out. Or only when BFA rolls into town you will do something. No, you have to, on a weekly basis, give a couple of hours to the Lord to contact people, to shepherd people, young ones, new ones, help them to know the Lord, baptize them, feed them with something. You can do it. Even the busiest ones of us can do it. You know, my wife told me, you know, we shepherd a lot of college age. My wife told me and said, you know, they always say they don't, they don't have time, you know, the college kids. I'm too busy with schoolwork. My wife said, I don't believe that. They have a lot of time. If they're interested in this, they have a lot of time. And they will make time. Like playing computer games. That takes a lot of time. They have time for that. Lots of it. Till 3 o'clock in the morning. No, no. 
Dear saints, the same with us. We're all busy people. I know we're all busy. You're telling the truth. But we're not that busy so that we have no time for souls, for sinners, for seekers, and for saints. Those are my three S's. Go take care of them. Preach the gospel to them. It's not that hard. If we keep doing it week by week, I tell you, we will all bear some remaining fruit together. And when we bring in the sheaves, brothers and sisters, we will all rejoice. I tell you, fruit makes us vital. Fruit, fruit not only will make us fruitful, but fruit will save us from deadness and save us from lukewarmness. Amen? Amen. Okay, I'm taking enough time already. Amen. Marty, I'm just burdened for the Midwest. So I'm refusing to leave this podium right now. (laughs) There are four cities of ten. There are four cities of ten that was on the GTCA list for the next two years. And I'll tell you, Marty, you testify. I fought for those four cities to be on that list. Number one, Minneapolis. Number two, St. Louis. Number three, Cincinnati. And number four, Lexington. Brothers and sisters, let's take these cities. In the next two years, by migration, we pray to the Lord that he will raise up Gideon's 300 from all over the country to migrate to the cities to strengthen the Lord's testimony. But whether you migrate there or not, in your present church and locality, overcome. Amen. Amen? Amen. We will all, we will all grow. Amen. And we will all thrive and be the testimony of Jesus. Amen. How about we have some strong prayer two by two?